We're nearing the end of a series looking at the Lord's Prayer. Let me just recap a little. We've talked about how we first focus on who we're praying to, that we're coming to our Father in heaven who holds all things but loves you and I. And there are three prayer requests about God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And only then, after we focused on God and prayed three things about Him, does it turn to three requests about our needs. Give us this day our daily bread, especially if the shelves are bare because of coronavirus. Um, Forgive us our sins, if I take the last loaf of bread on the shelf. And then this third request that we're looking at today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This prayer takes us into quite challenging territory. Why does Jesus end his model for prayer that he's teaching his disciples by talking about temptation and evil? Couldn't we have had something a bit more upbeat? You know, fluffy unicorns and rainbows. I think it's because however we may try and live like we don't have any issues with temptation and sin, they are very real issues in our everyday lives. And it's good for believers to be open and transparent about the things that they do struggle with. This part of the prayer helps us engage with exactly that issue. And I'm going to break it into three parts. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So firstly, lead us. This is a prayer about asking for God's leadership and guidance. The essence of Christianity is about following a person, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple, being led by someone who is trustworthy and good. Who is it that you're being led by in your life? My kids are quite keen on dogs. I think they'd love it if we owned one. Personally, I'm less keen, sorry to you dog lovers out there. When we were younger, we went for a walk with some friends and Noah got to hold the lead um, uh, walking the dog. There, isn't he sweet? I'm glad he's not in the room because he'd die of embarrassment. But you'd think that he was in control of the dog. But sometimes it was hard to know who was actually leading because it was more like the dog was leading him. It was pulling him along and then, oh, over to one side of the path and then, oh, oh, over this side. Was that a bird? And, and you think if, if a squirrel appeared, then he'd, it'd be like he'd disappear over the horizon with Noah dragging behind because this dog is off on the chase, never to be seen again. When we pray, we need to be very clear about who or what is leading us. If, for example, we're led, we're led by our emotions, I don't know about you, we'd be all over the place every day, wouldn't we? Up and down and around the houses, a bit like that dog pulling along Noah. 
Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with our Father to clearly show that we should be asking God to lead us. He's in control. Whether you realize it or not, whether you acknowledge God or not, He is in control. He can lead us. He orders our steps. He can lead us into good things. He can lead us through bad things. And he can use them for our good. But then Jesus prays next. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation is the desire to do something that you know to be wrong. If you've got young children, or maybe you've uh, had got young relatives in your family, you probably know the children's book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt, by Michael Rosen. And we're going to look at another story told by him called Chocolate Cake. I loved my mum's chocolate cake, yes. And one time, there was some chocolate cake left over at the end of the day, and I went to bed. And I was fast asleep. And then, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I thought, chocolate cake. <laughs> Maybe I could go downstairs and have a little look at it. No one would know. So I got up out of the bed. Shh, I mustn't wake my brother up. Along the passage, careful not to tread on the creaky floorboard outside mum and dad's bedroom because if they wake up and find me, I'll be in big trouble, so really quiet. Are they still asleep? Yes. Okay. Along the passage, down the stairs, into the kitchen, open the cupboard, and yeah, they're in it. Can I take it out? Just have a little look at it. And then I notice some little crumbs on the plate. So I think if I lick the end of my finger, I could pick up some of those crumbs and no one would know anything about it. Oh, yeah, look at that little sort of sticky bit on there too. And then I notice on the side of the cake, there's some little crumbly bits just falling off. So I think if I take a knife, I could just tidy it up a little bit. No one would notice. Scrunch it all together and there's the crumbly bits and the sticky bits and it's all going to go in there. Yeah, belly, belly, belly. And then I notice that as I've tidied it up a little bit over here, then maybe I could just even it up a bit over here. So I take the knife again, and this time, through the crispy icing on the top, through the squashy icing in the middle, and I've got a whole slice this time. Yeah, and it's all gonna go in there. It's a belly, belly, belly. <laughs> And now I've got the taste of it in my mouth and I can't stop myself, so I go, and i got all these slices, I can't stop myself. Oh no, it's all gone. Oh no, they're bound to notice now.
A whole chocolate cake doesn't just disappear. What am I going to do? I'm sure none of us have ever experienced anything like that when dealing with temptation. You might say, what's the problem with following our appetites or desires? Surely we can indulge a little temptation as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. But even in that story, he knew he was doing the wrong thing by taking cake without permission and especially in the middle of the night. Dads, you've been warned. We've all been taught some form of right or wrong, and each of us has a conscience. The Bible is also very clear. Sin, that is anything that's offensive to God or harmful to others, is wrong and causes us a problem. It separates us from God who is holy and cannot tolerate sin. But he's also perfectly just, so he won't allow sin to just go unchecked. It has to be punished, and there's a penalty that must be paid. We'll see later that God himself has paid that penalty on our behalf. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, would God ever deliberately lead us into temptation? In the New Testament book of James, in chapter 1, verse 13, he writes, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That word translated temptation is the Greek word pirasmos, and it can indicate both temptation and testing. If I offered you a phone that maybe I'd taken from someone else, Am I tempting you, or am I testing you? It probably depends on who I am and what my motives are. I might be tempting you because I want you to do the wrong thing and take the phone, and then I can go, aha, they stole a phone. Or I might be testing you to see what you do, hoping that you will do the right thing and say, no, 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 I can't take a stolen phone. In the IVP New Testament commentary, it says, God's purpose in testing is to confirm our faith. The evil one's purpose in testing is to weaken it. God doesn't tempt us to sin, but he does sometimes allow us to be tested. You see that very clearly in Job's life. Satan is allowed by God to test Job. His purpose is to weaken Job's faith and tempt him to deny God, but God's purpose in it is to prove Job's faith and commitment to him. Think about it. When you test something, you're checking to see whether it's fit for purpose, like a supporting beam in a house. You're making sure that it can bear the weight that it's made to hold. You occasionally meet people, don't you, where their talent or ability far outweighs their maturity. I'm sure you never see that on any reality TV shows on television. My prayer is that I never get overexposed in that way. I want my character 
to grow strong enough to be able to deal with the challenges of life in a mature and godly way. So we could rephrase this prayer as, Father, don't let me be exposed to temptation or testing that is too much for me and will cause me to sin. And this prayer pits God against our enemy, the devil. And we're asking God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. There's never any doubt about this face-off. It's not like Tyson versus Fury, you know. No, no, his name's Tyson Fury. (laughs) Fury versus, you can tell I'm a real boxing fan. What was his name? Wilder, Deontay, thank you. It's not like, oh, I wonder who's going to win. Even if you thought, oh, the outcome was certain anyway. It's like between God and the devil, it's, it's frankly pointless, the devil even trying. God is matchless. As we sang earlier, he has no rival. He's supreme. He cannot be overcome. But the devil will just try and cause as much damage in the world and in your life as he possibly can. So how can we be prepared. Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament, writes in his second letter to the church in Corinth, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything in order that Satan, which is just another name for the devil, might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Why does Paul talk about the devil's schemes? If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you might be thinking, what is all this stuff about the devil and sin? It may even seem a bit over the top to you. But there is a spiritual reality that I think our Western minds kind of dull down and dilute. But it's a spiritual reality that we would be foolish to ignore. We're in a battle. We're in a battle for our souls and a battle for our lives. We have a real enemy who doesn't want us to follow Jesus. He doesn't want God's name to be honored in our lives. He doesn't want God's kingdom to come. He doesn't want God's will to be done in our lives. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his greatest challenge, going to the cross, and dying for sin. He told his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. To help us in how we watch and pray, I want to outline three tactics the devil uses to try and trip us up. And they all begin with the letter D just because it helps me remember them. Firstly, the devil tries to deceive us. In John 8, verse 44, Jesus says, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. His first and probably greatest weapon against you is deception. We all have desires, thoughts, feelings, images, or ideas that pop into our minds Wonderings that may not be helpful, even fantasies about what something might be like. Temptation itself 
isn't sin. We know that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet didn't sin. It's only when we entertain temptation, when we accommodate it and act on it, that it becomes sinful. In the book of Revelation, the devil is described as the accuser. When you give in to temptation and do the wrong thing, which we all do at times, the devil's right there in your head telling you, you're rubbish. You'll always struggle with this. And you can't tell anyone, what will they think of you? He'll, he- he'll heap up guilt and shame on you, and that isolates us. When we do mess up, the best response is truth and honesty. It's to tell the truth about what's happened. Why do we struggle sometimes to confess? Because we think people will judge us. But actually, no one is any, in any kind of better place than anyone else. Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. It's common for all of us. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, so we will all be tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When we confess to God and confess to one another, we remove the power of those li- that those lies and that secrecy can hold on us. We can ask God's forgiveness and walk free of guilt and shame. The second enemy tactic is that he diverts us. There is a way that God wants you to go. It's the way of Jesus. Imagine it now, or towards me. It's a road leading straight and true ahead of you. It's the way that Jesus lived. And God wants us to follow that way. It's the richest, most fulfilling life possible. It's the way of love, peace, contentment, and joy. And our enemy wants to do whatever he can to take us off that road. As we go through life, we'll be bombarded by all sorts of things that promise you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. But those things can't deliver what they promise, and they often have grave consequences. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 7, the writer brings sober warnings about being led astray. It pictures a young man in the town, and he's obviously struggling with temptation. And he goes into a part of town that maybe he shouldn't go to. And he walks near the house of a promiscuous woman. And he knows he shouldn't go anywhere near it, but he thinks, oh, I'll just just walk past. And there she is. And she seduces him. And it says, he follows her like an ox going to the slaughter. The devil wants you to get captivated and caught up by temptation and to take you off a path 
of following Jesus. That's why this prayer is so vital for us to pray. We know the way we should go, but we're so prone to wandering off. Jesus' friend Peter wrote these words, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're not alone in the temptations we face. We're part of a worldwide family of believers. We're in it together and God is with us. What a massive encouragement. But we're kidding ourselves if we think we're immune to tripping up or, oh, I've been a Christian for 10 years now, for 30 years. Sin doesn't affect me, doesn't bother me. You are kidding yourself if you ever think that. And we're kidding ourselves if we think we can indulge sin and not have a major problem. The enemy's third tactic is that he destroys. Having ongoing, unrepented, unconfessed sin in your life is like putting a lion on a leash and trying to take it home as your pet. You might think that you're its master. You can say, oh, look at my lovely little lion. Isn't he lovely? He's got a big mane. Uh, you know, he, he guards the house well. You can think you're in control of temptation or sin, but actually the lion is looking for an opportunity to devour you. Similarly, in Proverbs, it pictures someone who deliberately sins as someone who scoops burning coals into their lap and then thinks that they're not going to get burned. You're glad you came this morning, aren't you? It's nice and light, but the, this is important stuff for us to get hold of. Peter said, be alert and of sober mind. Wake up and see what the issues are. So how are you resisting? How are you standing firm? Do you know what your weaknesses are? If you were the devil trying to trip you up, what would you use? Do you know what those things are? Do you know what you need to avoid? Have you built any defenses? Have you got people that you're honest with about your struggles? If you haven't got any of those things, I would suggest that you're vulnerable. When I've supported people over the years who are struggling with temptation, my two best pieces of advice are, number one, feed your mind on truth. That is your best defense against temptation. Jesus quoted scripture when he resisted the devil in the wilderness when he was tempted. Secondly, find at least one person, but maybe two or three people that you can be completely honest with about anything that is going on in your life and that they feel permission to press you and say, really, are you really okay? Tell me the truth. I'm grateful that I've been able to develop some friendships over the years where we've been able to support one another through some very difficult things. We can get so individualistic in our thinking. It's between me and God. It's not anyone else's business. But that's not helpful. We need to pray for protection for ourselves 
and for one another. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have a responsibility not just for yourself, but for others. When you become a Christian, you become part of the body of Christ. We are an expression of it here this morning. And the body of Christ is gathered in Fishponds and Bradley Stoke and many other fantastic churches across Bristol. In a sense, when one of us falls, we all fall. Our walk with God affects the spiritual temperature of this church. We can help the faith level rise or we can make it fall. It matters whether we're here on a Sunday. We can each contribute to or detract from what God is doing here. We also affect the spiritual temperature of Bristol and the nation and the world. How we live, how we pray, how we, the influence that we bring, it all matters. And we should pray together regularly. May the direction of our lives lead us away from temptation and towards Jesus. So we've talked about lead us not into testing or temptation. We've talked about the devil's schemes of deception, diversion, and destruction. And we've recognized however much we resist temptation, we will all still mess up at times. We will get it wrong. We will sin, which is why this prayer ends with, but deliver us from evil. And I want to give you three ways that God answers that prayer. Firstly, he saves. We've, we've sung about our God saves this morning. Without God, I'm helpless. I need a rescuer. God sent his son Jesus to save us from sin and its penalty, death. Death has been robbed of its power by Jesus dying on the cross and then rising from the dead. Now by faith in Jesus, I'm justified. I'm declared righteous before a holy God. I'm accepted by God because of faith. And I'm free to choose not to sin. I'm no longer a slave to it. We've literally been delivered from evil. Just look at these breathtaking words in Romans 6. Verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. Verse 11. Count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, for sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Verse 18, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. But God not only saves and justifies, he also sanctifies. Sanctification is the process by which I become more and more like Jesus. You might say, Ben, you don't look a lot like Jesus. I, I know if I had hair like Sam, I used to have hair like Sam, I'd look more like Jesus. 
uh, as people might imagine. But I mean, look as in your character, in, in the quality of your life. You might think, oh, Ben, you know, I saw you getting tetchy with Jess the other day, you know, when, when you were parking the car. Or what, you know, and, and I agree. I don't look very much like Jesus at the moment. But do you know what? Our Father God is absolutely committed to making us like Jesus. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's more incredible for some of us than others, I know. But it is a fact because we're in Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, you become united with him. As we saw in those verses, previously we were slaves to sin. We were led around by sin. We were chained. We had no option. We were ruled by it. But now we're in Christ. Our trajectory has completely changed. That, this is the good news bit now. You're allowed to smile. Uh, we could go Pentecostal and clap. Um, don't anyone stand up, though. We won't go that far. We're, we're still... Some of us are British. It's like we were on the down escalator, yeah? Before. It's like our natural tendency was into temptation and sin and its ultimate consequence, death. We were on the way down. But through faith, we've transferred over to the up escalator with Christ. And our momentum is upwards towards holiness and purity and life in God. And God sends his Holy Spirit to work in us to make us more like Jesus. So it's not even he's overall committed, but we have to try really hard. No, he's overall committed, and he does it, and he works by his Spirit in our lives to change our natural desires, to change our inclination. So you should not only pray for, but expect the ongoing development of your character and lifestyle. And lastly, God answers our prayer by sending us. He sent Jesus, he sanctifies us, but then he sends us. God doesn't settle with delivering you from evil and making you like Jesus. He delivers you to something. He sends you out on a mission. For some of you, you need to realize that you're sent to the place where you work and the people you work with. Some of you need to find fresh faith that you're sent to the community where you live. And there are some that God will speak to and send you to another place, maybe another city or another nation. As I was preparing, I felt God speak to me that some of you are struggling because you don't know what God's made you for. The sense I got for you is that you will find purpose in being sent by God. He wants you to be so caught up on mission with him that you'll be preoccupied with his kingdom, his will, his purposes far more than temptation and evil. Having too much time on your hands can actually make you more vulnerable to temptation. So I encourage you to get on mission, get involved, get serving, be in touch with the things of God, and he will lead you 
into good things and deliver you from evil. Imagine a church that is more caught up in worship and the purposes of God than dealing with the consequences and the mess of sin. Reaching out to the most hurting and broken, full of faith and purity and integrity, rather than second-guessing ourselves because we're living in compromise. There's a call on us to do great things with God. There's a city to reach, a world that needs to understand and feel God's love. Let's not derail that by messing around with sin. The world is waiting. People are desperately looking for integrity, for pure motives and selfless acts. As we follow Jesus and pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we can trust that he will build his kingdom, his purposes will be done, and the world will see his glory. Can you stand with me? And let's pray. Maybe the band could come back. Father, we thank you that you are so committed to us. I want to thank you that this isn't an offer or an invitation for a select few, but in Christ, it's an invitation to us all. So whether we're here today and we, we haven't ever put our trust in you or we've known you for years, Lord, would you lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil? Lord, we commit our lives to you as a body together. We say, Lord, please... Lead us out of temptation and deliver us from evil, Lord. Send us out on your mission for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name.